Hi, my name is Michelle, and I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity Life Church. We are in the middle of a sermon series called I Am, and we are going through the different statements that Jesus made about himself. In the scriptures, God calls himself I Am. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the I Am. We want to get to know Jesus more deeply. We want to experience Jesus more fully, and we want to discover our identity in I Am. Today, I'm talking about Jesus as the sufferer and what that means for those of us who follow him. We don't like to suffer, right? My father's family is from Kolkata in India, and they lived a very hard life. They, um, even though I grew up in St. Jamestown and St. Jamestown is considered a vulnerable community in Toronto, I was always reminded growing up of how different it was from their life back home in India. And I was reminded of how privileged I was being brought up here in Canada. In St. Jamestown, nine of us lived in a crowded three-bedroom apartment, but my father and his family would often say, that's nothing. Ten of us lived in a one-bedroom room back home in India. Sometimes in St. Jamestown, the water in our building would all of a sudden shut off with no warning for a couple days. And whenever that happened, my father and my, my aunts and uncles would say, that's nothing. We used to take cold bucket baths on the terrace of the building every day. In St. Jamestown, we had cockroaches and bed bugs and all kinds of pests. But I was reminded that in India, they had giant cockroaches and lizards that crawled up the walls when they were sleeping at night. Whenever I complained about something, I could be sure that I would hear about it, that I would hear about how difficult life was back home in India. I'm sure many of you can probably relate to this. I don't think that this is unique to an immigrant experience, this, these kind of conversations. I think that these are what we, this is what we do as people. We like to believe that our experience was more difficult than someone else's. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure my father's life was probably more difficult than mine is growing up in Canada. Um, but I have two kids now, two young kids, and I can just see myself now in a few years saying to them, oh, you have it so easy. I used to have to walk down the street to Blockbuster to rent a movie. You guys have it so easy. When I was about 16 years old, I was the bridesmaid in one of my cousin's weddings. And this is um, a cousin on my dad's side of the family. This was a big deal because we got to be all fancy and do our hair and makeup, and we didn't get to do that very often. On the day of the wedding, we had to wake up so early to get ready, like before the sun came out. And I was not happy about this as a 16 year old. My aunt brought one of her friends to do our hair. And this took a very long time. I have a lot of hair. And so I was sitting there in this like uncomfortable position and she was like tugging and pulling at my hair and it was taking forever. And then finally I said something like, how long is this gonna be? And that was when my aunt, of course, she said, Michelle, pain is beauty. If you wanna be beautiful, you have to be able to tolerate pain. Women can tolerate pain. As a teenager, I thought that that was pretty funny and super annoying. Um, but today I realized that we are willing to suffer for things sometimes. In this case, my, as my aunt was explaining, women are sometimes willing to suffer for, for discomfort for a nice hairdo. So what we're gonna do right now in your R3s, and if you don't have one, you can just do this on your own, but it's more fun in a group. Um, I want you to brainstorm a list of things that people are willing to suffer for. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a minute to do that. Let's do that right now. 
All right. I'm sure that that was a fun discussion and you came up with many things. In our R3, we love that moment where you get to just discuss and float some ideas around. So here are some things that I thought of. We, as I mentioned about like a hairdo, like we like to suffer for our appearance all the time. We go on crazy diets and extreme workouts to get that summer beach bod. We have get tattoos and piercings. Um, we sometimes undergo plastic surgery to look a certain way. We also are willing to suffer for success in school or our careers. Um, some of us pull all-nighters to get things done, or we don't take days off, we work overtime. Some of us are also willing to suffer for relationships. We maybe make decisions that are not good for ourselves and for our health and for our families just to people please. We, um, and actually many of these things that I already mentioned, we do those things to gain approval of others. In today's passage, we are going to look at what Jesus said about his own suffering. And we're going to um, see what we learned from it because it has implications for those of us who follow him. So we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. But before I go into that, I just want to give you a little bit of context of what comes right before. At this point, Jesus' disciples have been following him for a while. They have witnessed him performing many miracles. He has casted out demons, healed people. He's walked on water. He's fed thousands of people with a small amount of food. Um, and right before we get to this passage, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says in verse 27, um, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell, and he strictly tar charged them to tell no one about him. So Jesus, Peter has said, he's proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the one that they have been waiting for, the Messiah, the promised deliverer of God's people. And Jesus doesn't deny it. And then we come to verse 31, and it says this, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Did you get that? It's almost surprising how blunt Jesus is. He says it plainly. He says the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ whom, who Peter just proclaimed is Jesus. So Jesus must suffer. He must suffer. This must doesn't mean that Jesus was forced against his will to suffer. We know this because in John 10, verses 17 to 18, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one's forcing Jesus to suffer. He does this on his own accord. So he must suffer. What does it mean he must suffer? It means that this is essential to his mission on earth. This mustness highlights the significance of what Jesus is about to do, the suffering that he is about to endure. So what must he do? What kind of suffering? It says Jesus must suffer many things. Um, he lists out rejection by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. These are the very people who are supposed to be people who love God. Um, he must be killed. 
but after three days, he will rise again. So think about this. Jesus called you to follow him. You've been following him for a while. You've been hanging out with him. You've witnessed all of these incredible things that he's able to do. And you just called him the Messiah and he didn't deny it. And then he says he's going to suffer, die, but rise again. Isn't that great news? That's wonderful news. He's going to overcome death. But how do people react to that? How do people around him react to this? Well, when we look at what Peter says, uh, we look at Peter in the next verse, in verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter does not like what Jesus has to say. And it's almost as if he only heard one thing, you have to suffer. So why does Peter rebuke him? Uh, he rebukes him because the Messiah at that time, in the popular mindset of the time, was to be a victor, not a victim. Many people at the time expected that the Messiah would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. For this reason, the suffering that Jesus spoke of was incomprehensible. Peter probably knows that if he follows Jesus, and Jesus says he must suffer, he must suffer. The cross is terrifying and offensive to the natural mind. I'm sure there is logic in Peter's mind. It probably sounds something like this. If Peter suffers, sorry, if Jesus suffers, he is weak. If he dies, he's a loser. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to suffer. If Jesus dies, we will lose. And my life will be in danger. I could die. I don't want to lose, suffer, or die. So Jesus can't lose, suffer, and die. It makes sense, right? We don't want to follow Jesus because it leads to suffering. We don't want to follow Jesus if it leads to suffering. Jesus said that three days later, he would come back to life. But Peter only hears the first part, that Jesus will suffer. So how does Jesus respond to this? In verse 33, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. Seems kind of harsh. He just called Peter Satan. Well, if Peter was bold enough to rebuke Jesus right after saying he's the Messiah, he must have been confident in this logic. He must have been confident that God told him what was right and that Jesus was wrong. Where it all breaks down is that Peter was far too confident in his ability to hear from God in that moment. What Peter said to Jesus when he rebuked him did not line up with the scriptures. He completely forgets what is written in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah describes the Messiah as a suffering servant. So I'm just going to read some verses from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, talking of the Son of Man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Later on, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Later on, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is exactly what Jesus said he must do, and Peter completely forgets what's written in the scriptures. Jesus is not being unloving to Peter when he rebukes him. 
What Jesus is really saying to Peter in this moment is, Peter, if you resist my plan to suffer and die, you resist God. You side with Satan against God. Satan doesn't want me dead because he wants you to be held captive for your transgressions forever. The last thing he wants is for a ransom to be paid for his captives. Peter didn't make a deliberate choice to reject God and embrace Satan. He simply let his mind settle on the things of men instead of the things of God, and Satan took advantage of it. Today, we do the same thing. We let our minds settle on the things of men instead of the things of God. For example, the scriptures tell us God will provide, we do not need to worry, but we work so hard to store up treasures on earth and it prevents us from being the generous people that God is calling us to be. The scriptures tell us that God desires for us to receive the gift of Sabbath rest, but we tell ourselves we'll fall behind if we take a day off. We'll fall behind if we worship Jesus. The scriptures tell us that God's plans for us are good, but we are constantly trying to take matters into our own hands and do things our way. We don't wanna follow Jesus if it leads to suffering. So let's get more specific. What kind of suffering are we talking about here? In verse 34, Jesus goes on to, um, to, to speak to the crowd and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Denying oneself does not mean seeking or embracing abuse for its own sake. Jesus has just spent over seven chapters in the book of Mark alleviating needless suffering um, or oppression wherever he sees it. That's not what he's talking about here. I've heard some people use this text, sorry, this text, and they use it to perpetuate or excuse victimization. So that's not what this is doing. This is not suffering for the sake of suffering as a virtue. The kind of suffering that Jesus acknowledges as a reality in this passage is a particular kind of suffering. In verse 35, he says, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This suffering that Jesus is talking about is suffering for, the, for Jesus' sake and for the gospel's sake. This is the suffering that results from following Jesus and his ways. To follow, the, so to follow Jesus up until this point, think about it. The disciples have sacrificed their livelihoods. They've sacrificed their reputations, regular meals, and sleep. When Mark wrote this gospel, Christians, the Christians of his day were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. To deny oneself means to surrender our lives fully to Jesus, no matter the cost, and to pursue the will of the Father, just as Jesus did. To deny oneself means to be willing to live in an open-handed way. I think of the picture of Jesus at the Gethsemane. He did not want to do this. He knew he had to do it, he must do it. He did not want to. He asked God, take this cup from me, but he was willing to submit and obey. Today, are you willing to give up your livelihood for following Jesus? 
are you willing to give up your reputation? The fact that people may not like you anymore. Are you willing to give all those things up for following Jesus? Are you willing to give up regular meals or sleep to do God's work? We don't want to follow Jesus if it leads to suffering. So how do we resolve this? We already established at the beginning that we are willing to suffer sometimes. We are capable of suffering. So where do we find the motivation to suffer for Jesus and the gospel? Jesus' portrait of discipleship all throughout the gospels is anything but attractive or easy. I'm gonna invite you to look deep down inside and check your heart for your motivations. When um, there's this preacher, probably a lot of people know him, Andy Stanley, and he said this one question and it always stuck with me to ask yourself, why am I doing this really? That really is really important. So, you know, why am I getting a tattoo? Really? Why am I staying up late tonight to work on stuff? Really? Why did I buy that thing? Really? That's really important. So when we are honest with ourselves, we can find the motivation that's at the core of that decision. Why do I have this? Why do I really want that thing? Or I, I'm holding on to that thing? Really? Why? Why would we suffer for Jesus and the gospel? If we go back to verse 35, um, where he says, for whoever would save his life will, will sorry, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We can't save ourselves. We need our Messiah. The more we try to save ourselves, this Jesus says, the more we try to save ourselves and gain the world, the more we will lose ourselves. What is it that you're holding on to that is worth your soul? Why would you reject this gift from Jesus simply for that? Whatever that is. There is a whole life, abundant life, eternal life that God wants you to experience now, today, not someday off in, the off in the future, today. But you have to give up trying to gain the world today. Jesus says in verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. This shame is not referring to those occasional moments where we lack courage and we don't share our faith. And it's more about your heart settling on something, the settled state of your heart towards Jesus. Is your heart settled on something? Are you ashamed of Jesus and his ways? When you get to the cross, because if you're following Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna get there. When you get to it, you will realize then how far Jesus came for you. It's only in Christianity that it says in Jesus Christ, God became vulnerable and subject to suffering, pain, and death. On the cross, we see a political prisoner. God experienced unjust suffering. Have you experienced that? On the cross, we see that God lost a loved one because of this. The father lost his only son. Have you lost someone because of following Jesus?
On the cross, we see someone calling out, why, oh God, why, because of his obedience. Have you experienced that? Jesus has suffered everything we have suffered and more. On the cross, Jesus' suffering went beyond the physical. He was suffering cosmically what we deserve. On On the cross, Jesus did not just experience physical torment, but he was being cast out of the presence of God, the source of all light and all life. He was experiencing cosmic, infinite suffering in that moment. How did Jesus get through his suffering? Hebrews 12 verse two gives us a hint. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was this joy? This thing that he hoped for that helped him to endure the cross. Was it bliss in heaven with his father? No, he already had that. What drew him away from that and caused him to plunge himself into our sufferings? What was he looking for that he didn't already have? What could make infinite suffering worth it? It was you. Jesus himself had the opportunity to gain the whole world. If you remember when he was in the desert and he was um, there for 40 days, Satan tempted him to worship him and he said, you'd gain the whole world. But Jesus did not give into that temptation. Why? He endured it. He endured the cross for you. He plunged himself into our sufferings so he could someday end all evil without ending us. You were worth it to him. When you think about that, you will be able to suffer for him. We can suffer for Jesus because he is worth it. So how do we prepare ourselves to do this well? How can we prepare ourselves to suffer for Jesus and for the gospel? If you remember when Jesus rebukes Peter, he says that you set your mind on the things of men. That's why you've allowed Satan to take advantage of yourself. And so Peter set his mind on the things of men. So we probably need to do the opposite. We need to set our minds on the things of God. We know later on in the story that Peter does end up denying Jesus. He kind of runs away uh, after Jesus goes through all that he goes through. But after Jesus comes back to life and he returns, something changes. Peter finally gets it. The invitation is extended to him again and he is transformed. And this same Peter who rebukes Jesus now and denies him later, follows after, he goes, follows after Jesus' footsteps with great passion. He helps to build the church. He becomes passionate for the gospel and eventually even carries his own cross and dies by crucifixion. This same Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter one, therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter found his way to endure the cross. He set his hope fully on the grace that will be brought to him at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can suffer because Jesus is worth it, and we just need to set our minds on the things of God. I have two kids, and... um, you have to give birth to children in order for them to come into the world. And it is a very 
painful process. Um, and I, when I was pregnant with my first child, Eden, I prepared myself. I had to prepare myself mentally for this. I asked people their stories and I took notes and I tried to find ways that I was going to cope. I kind of treated it like I would have in running, like how I would running a marathon. You know, you have to prepare, you have to, you can't just go into it. You have to mentally be ready. So I had a plan um, and I, I, try to predict what are some possible challenges that could come my way? What are some ways I can manage pain? What are some ways I could get this baby out? Um, and during the process, I had to speak truth over myself the entire time. I had to tell myself, Michelle, you are safe. Women have done this many, many times before. You're going to be okay. God made your body for this. God is with you. Um, God wants to bring this child into the world. I had to tell, tell myself all of these things. And I was surrounded by people who could remind me of these things as I was going through this suffering. Andrew, my husband was there. My two sisters were there. I had amazing midwives and they were just really encouraging me. Um, and it was actually easier the second time when I had my son Jasper because I was like, I can do this. And so mentally I was even more ready. So what do you need to do to be ready for the suffering that you're going to have to follow, um, go, go enter into as you um, carry your own cross. Do whatever you need to do to keep your mindset on the things of God. Fill your life with things that will keep your mind on the things of God. Read his word, guys, read his word. We say this all the time, read his word, read his word. It's so important, you need to do that. Keep your mind set on the things of God. Redeem any moment in your day. Okay, car rides, listen to scripture, worship music, whatever. Um, when you're going for a walk or when you're exercising, a lot of people listen to, I don't know, people are gonna be mad at me for judging them. Garbage music, listen to good stuff that's going to fill your mind with the things of God. Doing dishes, I turn on music, just whatever. I try, try to find any moment to keep filling my mind with the things of God, meditate on his word. Worship. There's a reason our rhythms at three rhythms at TLC are up, in, and out. You can't do the in and out without the up. It starts with up. Lift your eyes up to God. Worship him. Surround yourself with people who are going to keep your mind on the things of God. This is why our threes are so important because we get so distracted and we start to our, our minds become settled in the things of man. We get swept up by the world and the worries and concerns of this world. Surround yourself with selves of people who are going to remind you of the things of God. We can suffer for Jesus, friends, because he is worth it. He is worth our soul. Let me just tell you this. You are never going to regret believing Jesus's advice for how to live your life. I have not met a single person who says, I regret following Jesus's advice. I really wish I hadn't trusted Jesus's advice for my life. In the Psalms in verse in 22 verse 5 it says, "To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. You will not be put to shame for following Jesus. He will not be ashamed of you." Amazingly, the people that I know who are striving, and we don't do it well, we need God's grace, we need to keep our mindset on the things of Christ, we fail, but the people who are doing this well, they are the ones who are genuinely happy. I, people that I, I, like, they just have incredible joy that cannot come from themselves. It comes from God. It's one of those gifts that he gives us. Giving our life to Jesus all the way and living as other-centered, um, living as other-centered, <laughs> other-centered people. Um, does not take away from our life, it adds to it. So I'm going to, um, 
I want to lead us through a prayer exercise as we wrap up this time. And um, this is something that I've been practicing a lot more lately. I've been trying to practice these things called breath prayers because, you know, we have a lot of anxiety in this culture and I just want to fill my mind with the things of God. So a breath prayer is taking a scripture and praying it slowly. It's meditating on it. It's just doing it over and over again until it you it becomes part of you. It, it um, You internalize it, it becomes part of you. So the scripture I want to focus on is John 3, verse 30. And it just, this is where um, John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So turning that into a prayer, the prayer is going to be more of you, less of me. Very simple. So first, I want you to start by asking yourself, what are you passionate about today? What are you concerned about today? Those two questions. What are you super passionate about? What are you concerned about? Think about those things. Hold those things in your mind right now. What are you passionate about? What do you really want? What are you desiring right now? What are you concerned about? What is on your mind? What is causing you stress? What are you afraid of? What are you concerned about? Okay, so I want you to open up your hands and get comfortable. And I want you to take some deep breaths. So breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. And now as you breathe in and out, you're going to say the scripture. So we're going to say, breathe in, more of you. Breathe out, less of me. More of you, breathe in. Less of me, breathe out. And you're just going to keep doing that. And as you do that, I want you to visualize those things that you are passionate about, that you are concerned about. I want you to imagine as you breathe in and fill yourself with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, He's filling you and you're going to push those things out and you're going to release them. Okay? God wants to give you good things, abundant life. Breathe in. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. Thank you.
friends, you can keep going on and doing this for a long time. I do it for at least five minutes, but you can go on a long time doing this. You can do it while you're walking. You can do it, I don't know, when you're in the bathroom, whatever. Um, Those things that you're concerned about and passionate about, those things that you desire, things that you're worried about, they are not worth your soul. We can suffer for Jesus because he's worth it. And friends, he wants to give you the life that he died for. Let me pray for us. Hebrews chapter two, chapter two, verse 10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom, through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through which he suffered. God, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of everything, of our whole being, of our lives. You're worthy of everything. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you plunge yourself into our world of suffering because you thought we were worth it. We are so unworthy, so undeserving, but you thought we were worth it and you made a way. God, we thank you. We really do. I really hope, my brothers and sisters, we really do want to live our lives in a way that demonstrates that you are worth it. We need your help. Help us to relinquish, to surrender these concerns and worries that we set our mind on all the time. Help us to set our minds on the things of God so that we can also pick up our cross and follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.